everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Long Box Guys. With me, as always, are some of my very best friends. This is a very little kid. Josh, that's a sexy-looking pour you got going there. Where'd you pour it? I am pouring a Whisper from uh, Treehouse. I'm still on my uh, October Fall Beer Fest, and this is a, a Marzen from, from Treehouse. Beautiful Marzen. All right, LT, how are you, and what are you drinking there, Bell? I am doing okay. I am drinking some Grainstone 12-year-old uh, scotch finished off in cherry cask. It's delicious. And Mikey, my good friend, what are you drinking tonight? Just water tonight. Why? Lost a bet with God. I knew it. That always happens. You poor son of a bitch. And you know what we call a poor son of a bitch? A sad sack. And that's what we're talking about today. Sad sack, the old military comic book. Uh, going all the way back to 1945, uh, is that right, Mike? Uh, 42. 1942. We're going to be talking a little bit about uh, Sad Sack, the comic book, uh, the comic strip, how it got into comics, where it was first published, some of the dailies it was in. And uh, maybe just touch on military comics also. Veterans Day is coming up not too far away from now, and, and uh, it's a uh, thing that's near and dear to me. Mikey, do you want to give us a little of the background on our favorite sad sack? This is bullshit, by the way. You guys are always putting your fingers on your nose, and because you I know, don't have a camera, you're yeah, like, oh. But you know what is total bullshit? Is that last podcast, Tom said he was specifically going to give the backstory <laughs> on sad sack. And now he's right. putting his finger on his nose. I don't remember that's that. That's the bullshit. I remember last time where I specifically didn't really remember who Sad Sack was and still don't. And I yeah. fully intend to support everyone who wants to talk about that character. I really specifically George... remember saying I never read Sad Sack. <laughs> and Tom said, I will give the backstory on Sad Sack last time. Created right. by Sergeant George Baker. Uh, Sad Sack first appears in Yank the Army Weekly. Number one back in June of 1942. So a little bit of background on George Baker. He was born in Lowell, Massachusetts. Oh. And before World War II started, he worked for Disney on such films as Fantasia, Pinocchio. Uh, I don't remember what else, but uh, a bunch of big movies. And then uh, he... Joined the army and became became a sergeant. And while he was there, having been a prolific cartoonist prior, he started doing cartoons called Sad Sack. So if our listeners out there are interested in seeing what the early Sad Sacks are like, you can go to sadsack.net and... There are links to the original con- comic strip, to the newspaper strips, to uh, some of the web comic strips from 2002, uh, and it's all free. You can uh, go look at them. But in the original comic strips, they are, uh, again, they they were, uh, there wasn't any conversation in it. It was all just sight gags. So, like, one of my favorites is the shoelace where Sad Sack goes to the supply room and he's pointing at his boot. He obviously needs a new shoelace. And the corporal there points him to the orderly room. He goes in, talks to a sergeant, shows him his his boots. Sergeant points him to the lieutenant. The lieutenant 
points him to the regimental commander. The regimental commander looks at it, fills out a form. He brings it back to the supply room. They give him a shoelace. He sits down on his bunk and breaks the shoelace, which is the perfect embodiment of what being in the army is like. Right, right, Tom? I've been in, uh, in, in things exactly like that. And for me, it was a calibrated wrench while I was a nuclear weapons specialist. And I had to go through like so much rigmarole to get this wrench that I finally went down to a German hardware store and bought a wrench. Like I gave up. I just went and bought a wrench. Uh, it was one of the ones that torquing wrench. Uh, so you can see what the torque was as you did it. Cause you had to torque these nuts down perfectly. And we had to get this piece of equipment up and running and no one had this torquing wrench. Uh, so we couldn't calibrate it correctly. And the calibration of what I was working on was pretty sensitive. So <laughs> we really needed to know what the torque was. And I finally gave up. After like three days, I gave up. I went and bought a wrench on the economy. And absolutely 100%, that's exactly what it's like sometimes. Uh, I do also want to say that how insane it is that we're going to be talking about a comic strip where it's all visuals on a podcast. <laughs> like, boy, we chose the right medium. Yeah, but we these, were, these were really important because these were really a good window into what military life was like for some people. And some generals and some people in the military didn't like these styles of comic books because they thought it was bad for morale. Uh, my, the, one the of the ones GIs, I, on the other hand, loved yeah, it. They like they the stuff. But one of my favorite early set tags, there's one on uh, sexual hygiene in which they're <laughs> watching these horrible movies and you can see him like covering his eyes. And yeah. You don't see the movie. You just see him reacting to the movie. He's being forced <laughs> to watch. Yeah. And he uh, he goes out to a, a GI dance and he sees a nice young lady. He's introduced to her and he immediately puts on a rubber glove before he shakes her hand. <laughs> I remember those things were horrifying, by the way, even when I was in the military. Mike, did you see those movies in basic training? Not in basic. They they made us watch them when we got to our permanent duty station. <laughs> it was like, what? Why? Uh, what? Uh, hey, do you ever wonder what a dick really full of syphilis looks like? It looks exactly like this poor son of a bitch that we're going to make you stare at for five full minutes. Notice how much ooze we can squeeze out of it. Yeah, they would make you watch that kind of stuff to try to scare you into not putting your penis into things. Did not work well. Mike, did it work for you? Uh, it did work for me, and I hope it worked for most of the guys in my uh, unit because they ended up going to Haiti. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a high rate of transmittable diseases there. No way around that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we should say that Sad Sack did come first when it comes to a lot of the military comics that are iconic. Beetle Bailey came in, uh, what, 1950, right, Mike? Yes. And uh, the only thing that predates those are the old Willie and Joe comics, uh, which I really liked in Stars and Stripes. Uh, a lot of generals hated those because it was just these two Brooklynites Brudging through uh, the uh, the campaign in World War II, complaining about everything, and they're like, "Well, this is a terrible, you know, way of showing how the American experience is overseas." And the Joes were like, "No, it's not. If anything, we're toning it down." <laughs> yeah, Josh, so, if you haven't read any of those, I got a couple in the chat there. So, and uh, and you can, uh, why don't you tweet some of those out? At the I will. The William right? Joes are are pretty cool, so I will tweet out two or three of my favorites. I gotta find my sock one. That's my favorite. I haven't found that one yet. So because Satsat got so popular, 
in the Army Weekly, uh, Simon and Schuster decided they were going to publish the strips in mass in 1944. And that sold so well that at the end of the war, Harvey Comics was like, hey, we would really like uh, this property. So they bought the IP from George Baker and they started producing sad comics. He had 287 issues from 1949 to 1982. Uh, he also had spinoffs, including Sad Sack Funny's Friends, Sad Sack and the Sarge, Sad Sack's Laugh Special, Sad Sack's Army Life and Parade, Little Sad Sack, Sad Sad Sack, Sad Sack Navy, Gobs and Gals, Sad uh-huh. Sack. Sad Sack USA, Sad Sack Vacation, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, don't rem- Sad- I don't remember little Sad Sack. Was that Sad Sack as a kid? No, it was like his nephew or cousin. Oh. Uh, yeah, so he had a bunch of uh, characters. Sad Sack had Sarge, who was the first sergeant. And then he also had Slob Slobinski. And Hi-Fi Tweeter, who were his buddies. And then the general, who was always drawn with dark glasses, a cigarette holder, and an ascot tie. And then, of course, Mutsy the dog. And uh, he had an uncle, uh, Old, old Sod Sack. Uh, he had his female cousin, Sadie Sack. And I stand corrected as I'm looking at the notes. Sat, little Sad Sack is sad as a kid before his army introduction. Okay. <laughs> Anybody know where Satsack was stationed? Ooh, uh, <laughs> if I had to guess, it's not I a real place. Oh, too bad. I was going to guess Jersey. <laughs> yeah, no, it was not Fort Dix. Uh, Satsack was based at Camp Calamity or Camp Browbeat, depending on who was writing it. But Camp it, Calamity it, sounds right. I. Uh, Mike, uh, so do you remember You remember the old Beetle Baileys? Uh, they, for some reason, I thought the Beetle Baileys, the uh, other characters, seemed to be fleshed out more than the Sad Sad Sack. You remember Sad Sack? I like Sad Sack. I couldn't name a single one other character. Could you, before you did your research? I know I can picture them in my head, but I couldn't remember what their names were. Okay. Yeah, uh, other than Sarge. Like I, I remembered Sarge because Sarge was always yelling at him. Yeah. But Sarge everybody was else. Always yelling at Beetle Barely too. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's a different Sarge. Uh, the Sarge yeah, came first. But, yep. But I don't think they had an exclusive on Sarge as a name. <laughs> it's like saying top. I mean, we we're gonna, we're gonna call that a little universal there. Yeah. So Harvey Comics again. They they were. For many of us, the, our introduction into comic books, because they were geared for younger readers, even except Sad Sack really wasn't geared for younger readers. I mean, it was easy to read. It wasn't anything complicated. But my dad and my uncle Jimmy, who was in the military, they both loved Sad Sack and they would pick up the comics. And after they were done reading them, they hand them to me. Became my comics. I did not know that. I can see your dad reading comics. I could. I, I mean, when I picture your dad reading, it's always the like him just reaching over from his chair to grab uh, a dime novel. Yeah. Which you, you always seem to have at arm's length. 
Uh, I know he had comic books, and I know he handed them down to you. But now that I'm thinking about it, that makes perfect sense for your dad. Yeah, so like my dad didn't have a, a long education. I think he dropped out of school in the fourth grade, but was a prolific reader. And one of the ways he learned how to read in the orphanage was via comic books. Um, so like many, uh, you know, my dad wasn't an immigrant, but many immigrants, that's how they learned how to read English, too, was the comic book medium. So in the 1940s and 50s, even though comic books were considered a low form of art, as opposed to the cartoon daily strips that they had in the newspapers, the, you know, for a lot of people, this was a way into learning how to read. Uh, nowadays, people learn how to read and learn English by listening to podcasts that come from America. And I'd like to give a quick shout out to all our listeners in Germany and Japan. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Oh, and China. We have and a lot China. Of- We're huge in China. Yeah. We see you. Thank you. We appreciate you. And all those people in the United Kingdom, I appreciate that you're learning the English language from us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please just stop saying aluminium. It's aluminium. Stop. <laughs> that, that's how you say it. Aluminium. Yeah. Um, so what would you say was the uh, the high point of the sales for these Sad Sack comics? I, I think his best popularity, probably, rather than the high point of sales, was uh, when it, during World War II. Because uh, the GIs were able to read those strips when they when they got a chance, and that probably made him the most popular. The Harvey comics, like I said, uh, guys who got out of the military, uh, comics were very big for veterans of World War II. By the way, uh, but when they got out of World War II, they kind of liked the the darker comics because they were dealing with their PTSD and you know the stuff they had seen. So they they started going more to horror comics uh, and westerns, but Sad Sack still had a market niche, but he was not as big as like Casper, who we talked about last week, who was just having monster sales or anything. It was solid enough to to last for you know th- four decades. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, some of the old um, covers. And I have to say, they, they remind me more of Mad Magazine than anything else. Yeah, that that's that's fair enough, yeah. It yeah, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, and it was a very, like, Sad Sack's art style was unique to Sad Sack. Like, Casper, Richie Rich, Hot Stuff, all those characters kind of looked like the Harvey Toon model, right? Yeah, Sad Sack looked like Sad Sack. 100%. Yeah, he really does. Like, I'm looking at General Rockjaw, and I can't see a uh, a character that looks like him in any other Harvey comic. Yeah. I would say the closest thing to him that, that looks like him, it would also be Andy Cap. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. A little bit. Sure, I can see that a little bit. Yeah, the we should do Andy Cap at some point. Those are kind of funny. <laughs> Maybe Blondie. Mm-hmm. Like, characters look a little like Blondie characters. I have a friend of mine who doesn't like Blondie comics because he doesn't understand how Dagwood pulled Blondie. It's fair. Yeah, it's and it's the same with our our wives and us. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm like, you can't take a look at Laney over there. For yeah. some reason, we pull. Yeah. We outpick um, our coverage. 
So my yeah. grandfather actually so did replacement comics for Blondie, Peanuts, and a couple other strips for the New York Times. So when artists couldn't get their material to papers in time, they would hire local artists and they would just, over the telegraph, give people the dialogue and have a local artist basically do the strip in the local, in the style of the artist. And so my grandfather was one of the people on call to do uh, to do strips for the New York Times. Let, let me make sure I understand that correctly. So say uh, like a little podunk town in the middle of nowhere doesn't get the strip in time. They'd have a local artist do it in the style. Like New York wasn't a podunk town, of course. No, no. But, but uh, yeah, if you, if you didn't get, if, if there was a strip that had to be in the Sunday paper and Schultz or whoever didn't get the, the, you know, actually get the, the, the print plates to the paper in time, they would just have somebody come in, draw it in the style. They would telegraph the dialogue over and they would print the strip. That's so, really neat. I did not know that. At the time, they you, you just couldn't get it everywhere if you couldn't get it everywhere, right? It's not it was that right. age. So, um, so yeah, my grandfather uh, uh, drew some of those strips for the New York Times. That's neat. I uh, I just started, uh, if you go to Comixology, and I know this is a sore subject for some of you, uh, but on Comixology Unlimited, they just released a bunch of the old uh, Charlie Brown first, first, first newspaper strips. Those were very different and really kind of fun and cool to read, so on a tangent there, sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thing. Go read those because it's a different comic altogether. It's kind yeah. of fun. So I didn't have a lot to contribute to the sad sack stuff, but I, I, so I'm going to throw it a, an aside, not quite a tangent, but so George Baker's from Lowell, Massachusetts. And those of us who live near Lowell know it as in its present state. Uh, but in 1850, Lowell was the most industrialized city in the United States. It produced more clothing from Southern cotton than the entirety of the Confederate states, all 11, 11 Confederate states. The city of Lowell produced more clothing from Southern cotton than anyone else. It was so prevalent that they made cheap clothes. They sent it back down south and slave and farmhands referred to cheap clothing as Lowell's. Nice. And of course, the uh, the minor league team that was in Lowell was the Spinners. Harking back to, you know, the, the, the heyday. Cotton spinner. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they're known and for. And that kind of industrialization here in the north and then sending cheap, shitty products down south was a big part of, of course, the Civil War. Depending on who you talk to. Though still, 100%, we're not deniers. It's, it was slavery. I'm just saying it was part of the economic package. Sure. So to change the subject, back to sad side. Back to sad side. Back. I was going to say, and Lowell has an actual uh, museum for the textile industry for those mills. I haven't been. All righty. And by the way, Sad Sack had a movie. What? I, I did not know that. 1957, know that. The Sad Sack starring. Oh, 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 oh. Um, um, 57. Uh, Who would be a good Sad Sack? The little fella. Peter Lorre. Oh, Peter Worry, shut up, you're a moron. <laughs> uh, big, 19... big comedy star. Uh, Bob Hope. No, it's gotta Close. be a small. It's gotta be a small guy. Uh, Jerry Close Lewis. Bob Hope. It's Jerry, Jerry Lewis. Lewis. I got it. Yes, it was Jerry Lewis. But let's go back to Bob Hope because on radio, Private Sad Sack made an appearance on the Bob Hope and Betty Grable show called uh, GI Journal. And Private Sats Act was voiced by the famous 
voiceover artist Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc. Huh? Rest in power, my brother. Rest in rabbit. And then he also had a radio program that was sponsored by Old Gold Cigarettes. Uh, <laughs> You're not catching cancer. You're catching vitamins with old gold cigarettes. I remember the, remember the catchphrase. <laughs> Herb uh, Vigran played the title role, but it also starred a young Jim Backus. Oh, Jim Backus was handsome back then. Wait, who's Jim Backus? Thurston uh, Howell III. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Okay. Oh. Okay. So he was young at one point. I, is my I can point. only imagine. Yeah. I can kind of imagine. Yeah, no. I mean, I gotta go find a picture of him. I can't imagine it, honestly. So yeah, no cartoons like Casper had, and a lot of the Harvey tunes had, but still a a very important market share for Harvey comics. Yeah. All right. Anybody got anything last? A little bit to say about Sad Sack? Definitely a comic I saw and liked. So one thing. So you. We mentioned that post World War II, a lot of people, a lot of people coming back from war were reading these. Does anybody think maybe this is the start of where adults start keeping hold of things that were considered the realm of children? At this point, comics were still kind of disposable, which is why we don't have a yeah. a huge ton of these. I wish it was, but no one's bagging and boarding these old sad sacks. No, no, not bagging and boarding. Not even bagging and boarding. I, I know you don't mean that, but they're not even like squirreling them away at this point. They're handing them down to their kids. They're doing what Mike's dad did. And maybe the kids are squirreling them away, but the adults certainly aren't. But the adults were reading them. They were. Yeah. Right. So before this, I don't, I don't think – before World War II, I think there was much less of the realm of things where – People would have thought this was too childish to even pick up for adults. And I think the the loss of innocence from World War II sort of brings a little bit of change where adults start picking up comic books and things that might have otherwise been left behind by the generation before them. That's all. Yeah, comic books did play a, a major role in uh, entertaining the GIs in World War II. They would send comic books over to them, and, you know, they would uh, – it was, and you know, they would trade them amongst each other. Yeah, you know? and definitely part of all those care packages. That was a big part of it. Cigarettes, candy, cookie, letters from home, a couple of comic books. Yeah, but I mean, comic books in their, you know, from the beginning were also weren't aimed solely at children. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, most of them were pulp writers who just couldn't get a job writing for the pulps or. They were wanted to be cartoonists, but they can get a daily strip. So they were just doing comic books kind of on the sly. So nobody yeah. would know it. That's why they changed their names a lot of times. When they that, were that's how we got Stan Lee out of Stan Lebowski. Love. Stan Lebowitz. But, but that's that's the aspect of a, those those yeah. artists being adults and worrying about where their work was going, not where the readers were. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it, it was definitely they believed it was for kids, but there were a lot of adults who were reading comics. Yeah. And yeah. But it was still kind of a, uh, 
I, w- I don't want to say taboo. Uh, let's say more of a a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Like it you didn't want. A, it was considered a low form of art. Yeah. Sure. You you certainly it's like riding a moped. It's a lot of fun, but you you don't want everyone staring at you. <laughs> I do. I like my moped. I don't care. Just you. Yeah. yeah. Except for me. That's a cool weirdo. to yourself. Damn right it is. All right. Love my moped. Yes. But yeah, uh, so going back to your question about the comics, though, after World War II, because they got darker to appeal to the adult reader, it's what brought into the whole Tencent plague, right? Where yeah. they started blaming juvenile delinquency on comic books, you know, because, yeah, who knows? Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a whole yeah. there, there's a PhD in there somewhere for someone. Just or saying. The, or some asshole just making up shit like Wortham did for the seduction of innocence. Yeah, totally made up all that bullshit. Or, or just in bad math. I don't know if you guys have ever done the math in that one. The math in there is atrocious. And I, that's coming from me. I suck at math. But I actually like looked at some of his statistics, and you go back and see some of the stuff he quotes and where he got it from and how many people he surveyed, and the math does not make any sense. Just saying. Mikey, what do you have in front of the long box? At the front of the long box, I have the Starman series by James Robinson. I talked about it previously, but I just finished it, all 81 issues, and it's a good read. Uh, I'm a big James Robinson fan. I think he his uh, later stuff is really good, but he does such a great homage, and what I like about his style, it, it's almost – Josh, what's your dad's name? Richard. No, Chris Claremont-esque. In that he leaves threads out there in earlier comics that he's going to go back later on and address. So there's, uh, Josh, you will not like the series because there is a bunch of time travel in it. But, like, they have references to shit that hadn't happened yet in the comic books. Uh, although chronologically it had happened and so the characters already know what's going to happen and they're trying not to reveal stuff to the other characters that will affect and change history so he he had a he definitely had a plan when he was writing it or he's very good at covering up his stuff (laughs) Uh, the artwork is all right i think the covers uh for the starman series are just amazing not as the interior art's not usually as good, but the storyline is great. If you love the legacy of superheroes, this is the book because it's just a, a love story to the legacy of this one golden age character, the Starman, and how all the other Starman men who came afterwards because they wanted to keep the rights to that name. <laughs> he ties them all in together into a a cohesive history. So it's a great series if you like that kind of stuff. Well, that sounds great. Actually, that sounds like something I would definitely read. So I don't like, like, like Josh thought, I'm not a huge fan of the time travel where I don't know where I am in the thing. If Josh, I always say, if Josh didn't explain to me everything I needed to know about the Witcher, I would never finish the first season of the Witcher because of that. <laughs> that's not time travel. That's bad storytelling. But yeah. It was bad storytelling. And, uh, time travel. It wasn't really time travel because I was sequence travel, but I still was very confused. LT, what do you have in the back of the law box, my brother? 
I have Detective Comics 943 through 949. It's Batman going up against the Victim Syndicate. So the Victim Syndicate is a group of people that have all been dramatically changed by Batman's war with the supervillains in Gotham City. So uh, does this have Clayface as one of the victims, right? One of the Clayfaces? It has, yeah, it has Mudface. Yes, okay, I, I remember this series. Yeah. Uh, this storyline, I should say. So it has all these different people that have been uh, just drastically harmed by Batman's war. Uh, people that, even though Batman historically has always tried to help the victims... <laughs> In Gotham City, uh, these are people that kind of he missed. People that he didn't realize were harmed. So one of the people, Scarecrow, tested his fear gas on over and over and over again. And so this person has developed a gas that leaves a person with no fear. So they do incredibly stupid things because they have no fear. Josh, that uh, that was you were one of those people, weren't you? When he had no fear in him, yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen Josh do some things. Where yeah. I'm like, Josh has no fear. Yeah, it had mostly had to do with with bridges. Hmm. Alcohol, alcohol is the drug Josh takes when he has no fear. That's right. <laughs> yeah. As he drinks so, beer. So it's this kind of group of almost like supervillains that want to have Batman and his group of heroes stop what they're doing because they're causing this problem in Gotham of just kind of escalating things between him and these supervillains and they think if Batman weren't around there would be no supervillains and that the police would just solve the problem and they wouldn't have this issue and so they are out to stop Batman and his crew from doing what they do in Gotham. And it's it's just a very well done storyline. Is that James Robinson? Uh, or James Tiny? There were, there were a bunch of people that that worked on the book. Uh, James Tynum was was the one of the people. Also um, Alvaro Martinez and Ralph Fernandez worked on some of these books, but Tynan was doing a lot of the writing, yeah. So, awesome. Great, great book. I concur. recommend it. It it definitely uh takes Batman in a different a different way than you normally see him. Where he has to um, deal with all the consequences of his actions. But how does it how does it uh come back around though? Because we can't just leave it where Batman was the bad guy. I mean does Batman show that? Right, and, he, and he's not the bad guy, right? He didn't have all these unintended... Like, he wasn't the person that fired the gun that had the bullet that went into the apartment of the victim, right? It's yeah. misplaced hostility on it's, the yeah. the villain's part. On the part. victim's part. Yeah. Like, he didn't and, cause these things, but they're... This victim syndicate seems to think that if there were no Batman, there would be no supervillains. But still, it's it's kind of interesting because Batman's not used to going up against victims. He's used to going up against supervillains. And these are all people that have been drastically damaged by his war. 
collateral damage. I'll take a look at it. Yeah. That actually sounds pretty yeah. good. Yeah. But that was all a little tangential at the end there. Josh, tangents are your thing. Got a tangent for us? So, Elon Musk bought Twitter. Finally, that whole thing finally went through from us. Wait, is that the way you say that? Is that really right? Elon? I thought it was Elon. Yeah, I don't fucking care. I, I thought it was pronounced it wrong. I think, I think you're supposed to stretch it out, Josh. Just Elon. Elon Facebook. Gate. <laughs> we just call it a long gate. Yeah. Long gate. Yeah. Why did nobody think of this? The long gate. All right, uh, Elongate this uh, this weekish. Um, so a lot of people are are jumping ship, looking for other things. Elon, Elon, whatever his fucking name is, has gutted all of sort of primary uh, intellectual and artificial intelligence and social engineering groups out of Twitter, uh, so that it's basically just a a straight message board at this point. There's nothing. There's no moderation except for Elon Wims. Elon Wims. Yeah, just a horrific pipeline into Middle America. Just terrible. At which you can easily see by the N word being used 500 times more often in the last couple of weeks. And one of the things I, I have done as part of my, my job in the past is to evaluate the value of companies. And so generally, when you're dealing with a company that is, say, has a X amount of profit or X amount of recurring revenue, and this company is worth, you know, how many times worth that value, right? So even in the best value proposition, you could you could even remotely imagine Twitter being in. You would put it somewhere in the valuation of maybe five to seven and a half billion dollars. That's like that sounds like the biggest sort of like number you would put to something uh, that that Twitter's with its current net revenues. And so Elon Musk, Elon Musk spent forty four billion dollars on it. So. With that in mind, clearly, if it's a business decision, which of course it wasn't, it would be ludicrous. And so we have to look at the the other factors, which are, of course, influencing whatever he feels like he needs to influence as a megalomaniac. So how far, I mean, how far out of uh, perspective, like from the comic books, like if we were rating... Let's say let's say Bezos, Musk, a couple other folks, billionaires in America. Who's closest to Lex Luthor and how far away are they actually? How far away are they actually basically from building a power suit and trying to destroy the Capitol? Like, like what are we talking here? Like if you had to if you had to rate Musk on so, the, so this is tough. three to eighteen on Musk. As Lex Luthor, like, or a couple other billionaires. What are we talking here? What's your so? What is, what's the, what's the measure there? Well, you kind of take the word billionaire out of there, so we can put Trump in the mix. Well, no, it's tough yeah. because Bezos looks the most like Lex Luthor. Bill That's Gates true. has the smarts to be Lex Luthor. Elon Musk is crazy like Lex Luthor. Okay, so we've got we've got slices. 
All right. It's almost like you got to Voltron them all together. I mean, that could be the case. That could be the case. I formed the penis. What? Oh, no. Hey. no, no that's probably Trump. I mean, Musk looks like he's hiding an extraterrestrial in his chest cavity. There's no way a human being's ribs can do that. Dude, have you seen him in a swimsuit? He has a weird torso. That's true. It is. It's upsetting. Yeah. It's upsetting. It's yeah. upsetting to look at. And, and there are only billions of reasons of why he's getting the women he's getting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, tr- Trump reminds me most of Trump. Uh, Trump reminds me most of Lex Luthor Luthor, when it comes to his political ambitions and what he thinks he can do and the delusional aspect of I'm right and everyone just has to come to my way of thinking. And Lex Luthor would go to the lowest common denominator if it thought it would get him what he wanted. And that's very Trumpy. Right. But on the flip side, Trump is nowhere near the businessman. Or, or the the rich that Luke Lex Luthor is. Yeah, he reminds me. Or more even, of or even physical stature. Yeah. <laughs> physical stature. Trump's kind of. Yeah, big. Lex Luthor kept himself in shape. Fine. Uh, Trump reminds me more somewhat. of Frog. Somewhat. Way. Somewhat. I mean, sure. I mean, maybe if Trump had like a scar over one eye and he had a cat and one metal claw, he might be he might, one metal gauntlet. Like, he might be claw. But true. I don't see him. As he might, a, he'd be a lot closer. Yeah. <laughs> well, no one took the hate monger seriously either. But I mean, he almost wins. Like, and that's <laughs> Trump's whole deal. <laughs> I think Musk is on the technology path to be the closest to Luthor. If I I agree though, uh, it's Josh. I think Musk is probably the closest. However, LT's right. The only reason he's closest is because he inherited an emerald uh, diamond mine from his family in South Africa, right? He's he he's never made anything himself. Yeah, Um, I I think that's true of most of the billionaires we look at. Yeah, yeah, except for Bill Gates. Gates. Yeah, yeah. But even Gates stole most yeah. of what he made. Well, Gates, I, Gates Edison, that shit. That's different. Like, he was smart enough to steal the right stuff. He, like he was. Edison. He, was, he was smart enough to steal the right stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, so what are we up to? We up to a Branson? <laughs> what, no, no I mean, way. Bill, is Branson even still relevant? What happened to that guy? That guy's not even crazy enough to make the fucking news anymore. Branson isn't even the guy who like tried to start a spaceport in Arizona first. And and I will give him this of all the people, he is the most self-made. Yeah. He started out with a record store in his mother's basement. Yeah. That's how Virgin Music came from a record store in his mother's basement. What about the slow burn that is Buffett? He's up to something. <laughs> yeah, he's up to something and it's called old age. Yeah. Uh Warren Buffett is probably the most sensible moderate investor in America. Yeah. Um the guy still drives like a 1978 Cadillac. I 
my old company that I ran, a division of Buffett was our biggest customer. And I dealt with representatives from there. That's the realty company. And so you know he's up to something. Oh, he's definitely up to something. <laughs> but it, it, it is the slowest burn of everything. And he is the most moderate investor in America yeah. with the amount of money he pulls. But yeah, it's, I'm, I, I, like, I had actually forgotten about Branson altogether in this conversation. Like, because he is one big giant chemical fire away from being Lex Luthor. He is, but I don't know. Something. I, I think he finally got laid. But he seems so nice. Yeah. Someone finally yeah, gave, uh, someone finally rimmed him, and he was like, "Oh, uh, I could be doing this instead." Yeah, he had the whole Virgin Galactic thing going for a while, oh, yeah. and that just <laughs> dropped off the map. He was going to do the space hotel and this. He has the launch. He owns a huge launch pad in Arizona and Nevada, and they haven't done much of anything, really. I'm going to stick with my he finally got ribbed. That'll change a man. It could be. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good one. Like, I forgot about him. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if he's under the radar because he wants to be under the radar. Maybe. Mike, what was your choice? I missed it. I didn't have a choice. Yeah, it's probably like they're all crazy. Fuck them. They're up. <laughs> and don't worry about it, guys. I bought my lottery ticket for tonight. We're all going to be set. Me too. I wished upon a magic Dodger extra hair. Oh, nice. And he gave me an extra kiss on the forehead and I went and got my ticket. So we'll all be billionaires tomorrow. We'll all be fine. Be fine. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. <laughs> uh, three to 18. How many people uh, played the lottery this week? I have I, I, yeah, I, I, at least three out of four on this podcast. But it gets over a billion dollars. Like you just, you just, I mean, you got to play. Here's my buck. I'm going to pretend yeah. like I'm funding the school. There you go, pal. There you go, pal. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I guess that brings us over to plugs then. Indeed. Uh, plus, plus, we can keep playing Pentagon. It's coming up. Uh, they haven't opened up the thing for us to uh, put in yet, but I've been watching the guest list, and it's looking pretty good. Some fun stuff there. One of my favorite wrestlers of all time, Leva Bates. Uh, she's going to be there. You never see her doing anything. She's just kind of a weird wrestler who does a lot of cosplay in wrestling. It's kind of fun to watch her. Uh, she played Kitty Pride once as a wrestler, and people passed through her a couple times, which is really funny to me. <laughs> Nobody else thought it was funny, but I was like, I know what you're doing, you son of a bitch. She once famously wrestled for ECW when they had a problem with another wrestler who couldn't make it. And she was totally in cosplay the entire time as Kitty Pride, But they didn't have a name for her. They didn't want to say her name, Leva Bates. So they called her Blue Pants. You can look it up to this day. Blue Pants was a huge trend for like, like 10 days because she was just so over the top popular as Blue Pants. She's had a very odd little rise and fall. <laughs> Anybody else have anything to plug? I'd like to thank Kirby Crackle for providing our geek rock music every week. You can check him out at kirbycracklemusic.com. If you're wondering, where's the music? Get off our backs. Move to China. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Even though we love our Chinese uh, listeners, yeah. I'd like to plug geekorthodox.com. 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 Hi, Tammy. 
Oh, yeah, I missed that. <laughs> I, uh, missed I totally missed that. I'm spacing out tonight. I'm gonna look over here for a while. You had one over there. fucking line, Opper. You had one job, Opper. Yeah, I know. GeekOrthodox.com, purveyor of fine stained glass prints, Johnny Skywalker rocks glasses, sake sets, you name it, they've got it. If you want t-shirts, you got to go to ianlino.com. ianlino.com has t-shirts, baseball shirts, baseball caps. They have all sorts of great stuff. I just got an email today from them saying that my rodents of unusual size uh, shirt is on its way. Me too. Nice. Uh, yeah, great stories, comics and games. They're right down the street from me in Whitensville, Massachusetts. Go check them out. Pensacon we've got coming up. What else have we got? I don't know. Stuff. Stuff. Thanksgiving's Stuff. coming up. And once again, if you uh, have a uh, chance to go listen to our other podcast, which is called The Geek Leak, uh, on our Patreon page, all that money goes to the Elizabeth Peabody House Food Bank. Uh, that food bank feeds over. 100 families every single week lately, uh, which is a huge bump up from what we were doing just last year. And uh, this Thanksgiving, we're going to be handing out 250 Thanksgiving meals to uh, some of our friends in the Boston area. And uh, it's a totally great cause. And it's only a dollar a month. What? Dollar a month? Uh, a I don't, dollar. For the price of a hand job at 1950s Alabama, you can get and help. Uh, a podcast uh, like ours uh, help feed people every single week. What kind of fancy whorehouse in Alabama in the 50s were you going to? The guy with a satin really? glove, my friend. The guy oh. with a satin glove. A classy. That's classy. Yeah. Have you had one? A satiny? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've had a satiny. Not a farmer. <laughs> Absolutely. Every year, come February, Pensacola is my sector. And Tommy, sweet soon, Tommy, what's this podcast like to you? Uh, well, it's like getting your shot, because if you don't have a shot, you should get a shot. Come do shots with us. Shots, shot, 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 shot. And Mikey, more importantly, uh, I got my booster not too long ago. Uh, Mikey, my my third booster, Jesus, it's, it's, it's getting up there. Mikey, what's this podcast like to you? It's like Drunk History, but for comics. And over here when I always say, don't diss what you hate, just promote what you love. You live longer. Thank you for the long box, guys. And if you get a chance, go to Salem, Massachusetts and see the Bewitched statue. Uh, it is gorgeous. I don't know why, but I, I saw it last week, a couple of months ago, and it was really nice. Nice. Sweet. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.